All right, tonight we'll, I'm going to be preaching a message. I'm calling it the Day of the Lord in Zechariah. So uh, we've just got done with the Revelation series, and so after 22 weeks in a row on prophecy, you know, I feel like there's still kind of some loose ends that I want to cover. So the way I, you know, I tried to just stay in Revelation mostly when we were there, um, and that, but there's a lot of things prophetic that the Old Testament talks about. That deal, you know, deal with things to come that we just didn't have time to get into, and so I kind of want to hit some of those highlights. And when I was studying for this, I almost wanted to just go chapter by chapter through Zechariah, but I'm kind of wanting to move on from prophecy into something else for a while. But and I didn't want to do 14 weeks in Zechariah, so I'm going to try to uh, tell you what you need to know about uh, the day of the Lord in Zechariah just in tonight's message. So it's going to be a little bit of a challenge because there's a lot about it. But Zechariah is a greatly interpreted, greatly misinterpreted, I can't even talk today, greatly misinterpreted uh, book of the Bible. I mean, big time. In fact, this is uh, there are some verses in here, I mean, the pre-tribbers, they use just kind of gotcha verses. And the thing is, you know, when it comes to prophecy, all right, Go off the New Testament first, alright? Focus on what's clear first, alright? And that's where preachers get mixed up. They do it backwards. They focus on the Old Testament first, and they interpret the New Testament in light of the Old Testament instead of interpreting the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. And they get all mixed, mixed up. They combine events that should not be combined. And I'm going to prove without a shadow of a doubt, they do that big time in the book of Zechariah. In fact, after I prepared this message... I read an article by a guy about the day of the Lord and he was talking about Zechariah. And he, I mean, man, and he did it. He did exactly what I'm going to talk about tonight. I mean, just messed it up big time. And so, what I want to do in these next weeks, I do want us to go back and kind of look at some Old Testament prophecies that um, people often get confused on, that pre tribbers often misuse. And we are going to look at these passages in light of what we have learned from the New Testament. And I think it's going to help a lot. So, Zechariah 14, verse 1, it says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. Uh, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. So, real quickly, we teach that the day of the Lord is when the rapture takes place. Okay, that, That's what we believe. We teach that the sun is darkened and the moon is turned into blood before the day of the Lord. Okay, And that's real clear. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. In Matthew chapter 24, we see the abomination of desolation take place. Great tribulation, sun darkened and moon turned to blood, and then Jesus returning in the clouds. Okay, there is no doubt there's that order of events. Even a pre-tribber would agree with that order of events, but what they would say is Jesus coming in the clouds is Armageddon. That, that's what they'll say. They'll say Jesus is coming in the clouds is what we're seeing here in Zechariah chapter 14. I'm, I'm going to prove. That that is that is so false. Okay, they'll say that's not our rapture in Matthew 24, but we believe it is. And I'm going to, and so, I mean, it is. 
that what they're doing wrong, it's just a case of bad reading. Okay? Have you ever just read something wrong? You know, you looked at something and you just read it real quick and you just thought it said something that it didn't. You just read it wrong. And it's like, that's what they do in the book of Zechariah. They're just, they're not even thinking about what they're reading. And part of the reason that they do this is because people don't do their own study. They're getting their interpretation from Bible commentaries and from college textbook, textbooks. And the very fact that everybody wants to combine these events, it proves they didn't do their own study. And the fact that multiple people are saying the same things about this when the text does not say that, it just shows people don't, don't do their own study. They're just listening to the same commentators. So, uh, you know, we teach abomination of desolation happens before the sun is dark, moon is turned to blood. And so the pre-tribbers, they try to make the day of the Lord when Jesus puts his foot on the Mount of Olives that we read here in Zechariah that we're going to go back and look at here again pretty soon. That's what they say. But I believe Zechariah lines up perfectly with our timeline. It perfectly. And I'm going to show you just the case of bad reading that goes on with the pre-tribbers. So let's look at some of the things that they do. All right, so the first thing that they do, they read verses 1 through 3 and just assume they happen at the same time. Okay? And it's because it doesn't take long to read three verses together, doesn't it? You know, it, it happens pretty fast. Okay? Okay, just like, you know, the book of Genesis, you know, it's 50 chapters, but it covers over 2,000 years, doesn't it? You know, just a few verses can sometimes cover a big span of time. Right, But what they do, they just read these verses and just assume this is all the same day. But here's the thing. If you actually think about what the passage is saying, you realize that there's a period of time here. There has to be. There absolutely has to be. In fact, later, the Bible actually tells us how long this period of time is, too. That's what's interesting. And so, first off, so let's look at this again. Let's look at verse 1-3. through so Let's look at it like a pre-tribber. It says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, the women ravished. Half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the rest of the people shall be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when He fought in the day of battle. Okay, They read that whole passage there, and they think it's all on the same day. But there's a problem with this. Okay, They teach that when it says, Behold, He cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see Him. Okay, and they also which pierced him, that all the tribes of the earth shall mourn because of him. They teach that when the Jews see him, they're going to mourn for him, meaning that they'll say that's an example of you know godly sorrow, work with repentance, not to be repented of. And they'll say that's Israel getting saved. If you ask most people when they when they go to Romans eleven, say all Israel shall be saved, meaning a when. Always ask them when they say that that's a win. Ask them, okay, so how are they going to get saved? They never have an answer for that. I, when I talked to Bill Grady about that, he didn't have an answer for that. I don't know. You know he, he, he didn't have anything. Because that passage is not a win, it's a how. If they look into that passage and see that it's a how, they're going to realize, oh, wait a minute, well, that's actually referring to now because now is the day of salvation. That was prophesied for them. So they, they have a real problem with that. But... When they say that them seeing Him and mourning is them getting saved, they are reading that into the text. 
Nowhere in the Bible do we see that. And I'm going to show you why they are mourning. Okay? It, this is real clear when you actually read the passage. So these verses 1 to 3 don't all happen at the same time in the same day. The same day. They ignore clear scripture that lays out the details of this event. Because look, in verse 2, okay, he's saying, I'm going to gather all the nations to battle. And look at this, okay? And they'll say, this is when Jesus Christ comes. All the nations are going to gather around Israel. They're going to be coming after Israel. And then Jesus is going to come and they're going to see Him and they're going to, they're going to mourn and they're going to realize He is the Messiah and they're going to get saved. And then Jesus is going to fight for Israel and He's going to save them and all Israel shall be saved. But wait a minute. It says in this passage, that the city is going to be taken, the houses are going to be rifled, the women ravished, half of the city is going to go into captivity, and the residue of the people shall be cut off from the city. How does that all happen in one day? Okay, so think about that. How does this, this doesn't happen in one day. In fact, you know how long this takes? It takes three and a half years. Okay, that's spelled out for us. Go ahead and turn over to Matthew, uh, Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21 and verse 20. It says, and when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed about, compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Okay? Now everybody would agree, depending on what conversation you're having with pre-tribbers, that when Jerusalem is compassed with armies, that's when the abomination of desolation is about to happen. Okay? That's, that's when that's about to happen. And then, after that takes place, you know, they're gonna, that, they're going to be captive there for three and a half years. The Bible's very clear about that. Okay, so the thing is, you know, it's very it, well. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's keep reading this passage. I don't. I don't want to get ahead of myself. It says then, let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let not them that are in the countries enter thereinto, for these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. I believe that's a reference to the sun being dark and moon turned to blood. Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. So we will, we're going to know that something is about to happen when Jerusalem is about to be taken. Okay, And when Jerusalem gets taken, that's when the abomination of desolation is going to be set up. These be the days of vengeance. He's referring to something that was prophesied in the past. This is what Daniel talked about. This is something that Daniel specifically referred to. We know this is a three and a half year period. Okay, And so, uh, in Revelation 11... Verse 1, it says, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple leave out, and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. Okay. Now, here's what the pre-tribbers will do with this passage. Most of them would agree with a lot of the things I'm saying right here. 
They'll say that, hey, this is about the Jews, all right? This is something that's happening to the Jews. This is talking about what's happening in Israel. This is what's going on in Jerusalem. And they are absolutely right. These are, these are the days of vengeance that are on them. But here's what I don't see in this passage is I don't see all Israel getting saved like they talk about. It's just not there. Jesus did, Jesus didn't mention that. Jesus and uh, you know he didn't he didn't say that they were all about to be saved during that time, and so uh, and notice too in verse twenty eight, Jesus saying to the disciples, he said, when these things begin to come to pass, what things? You know the tribulation that he talked about, the abomination of desolation, Jerusalem compassed about with armies. He said, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. He didn't say it was going to be after the three and a half years. He did he didn't say that for them. He didn't say when these things all come to pass, then look up. No, when they begin to. When you're seeing the beginning of these things, okay? When we see Israel getting surrounded and the abomination of desolation take place, we're going to know it's getting really, really close for us. And not like really close and how pre-trippers have been saying for, you know, 2,000 years is really close. I mean, no. I mean, we're talking within a few months. You know, literally. It's going to be it's going to be that soon, but I do I do believe personally, and I don't have a ton of Bible to prove this. This is just my opinion. I do believe that during that three and a half year period when Jerusalem has been taken, that's where we have the two witnesses that are there preaching during that time. I do believe some people are going to be getting saved during that time. I, I do uh, I do believe there will be some saved people in Jerusalem uh, when Jesus Christ returns. And and fights at the at that final battle, but uh, I don't think it's going to be this massive number. I just don't think that's there in the Bible. In fact, I I would say the number is going to be pretty unnoteworthy because of the fact it's not really mentioned. And the Bible, uh, and I keep getting ahead of myself here, but the Bible actually does tell us for the most part what is going to happen to Israel after Jesus comes back on this earth, and we'll we'll get to that later. In fact, the Bible tells us exactly. What's going to happen? I mean, there's there's no room for doubt, okay? But I show you all this to show you that what we see here in Zechariah 14, verses 1 to 3, it covers three and a half years, okay? The day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. He's going to gather all nations, all right, during, during this time. He's, he's going to gather them, and Jerusalem is going to be taken. They're going to go into captivity. These be the days of vengeance. It's going to last for three and a half years. After the three and a half years, after they have suffered, then Jesus is going to come back and He's going to defeat those armies. And he, Why? Because he's, he's about to take over and He's going to reign from Jerusalem. So verse 4, okay, when Jesus Christ comes back on that day to fight, all right, when He comes back to fight, this isn't when He comes back to take us out of the earth. This is when He comes back to fight. In verse 4, it says, "...and His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. And half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south." So, it, this is just my opinion. I don't know this. But, when Jesus Christ lands on this earth, He's going to step His foot on the Mount of Olives. It's going to split. In my opinion, I think it's very likely when Jesus gave the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, He was on the Mount of Olives when He did it. I think He was probably standing on the spot that He's going to stand when He comes back. 
That's what I think, personally. He's probably just standing there knowing, hey, eventually I'm coming back right here and I'm going to stomp on this place and break it in half. That's what I think. That's what I picture in my head. But in verse 5 it says, And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azal. Yea, ye shall flee, like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. Okay? This is Jesus coming, not for His saints, but with His saints. Right? Preachers would agree with this. This is what it's referring to. Uh, Jude refers to this. Behold, He cometh with ten thousands of His saints. That, that is what that's referring to right there. Uh, that's in Jude 1, 14 and 15. We're not going to turn there. But the event of Jesus coming with the saints is not to be confused with His coming where every eye sees Him. Now, right there is where the pre-tribbers mess up. Okay? They understand that there's a rapture and that there's His coming where His footsteps in the Mount of Olives. Okay? But they say that the coming where every eye sees Him is when His footsteps in the Mount of Olives. We say that that's a rapture. Okay? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove that that is, in fact, the rapture. But let's, let's look at some more examples where pre-tribbers are combining events that shouldn't be combined. Okay? And he said, this is just another case of bad reading. They're just adding things to the text that aren't there. Turn back to Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 9. It says, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all nations that come against Jerusalem. Don't you dare touch Israel. God's hand will be against you so fast He's going to fight for Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the Spirit of grace and all supplications. And they shall look upon Me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for Him as one that mourneth for His only Son. And shall be in bitterness for Him as one that is in bitterness for His firstborn. Okay? Now, they say that's them all getting saved right there. Is that what it says? Alright? It says they're mourning. Why? Okay? Why is this? Why aren't they excited? Why are they mourning? Okay? In verse 11, it says, In that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadad-Rimmon in the valley of Megiddon. Now, I'm not going to take the time to cover this. I covered this when we were in Revelation chapter 1. This is another reason that they believe this is that the, bat, the final battle is fought at Armageddon. Because when Jesus comes back for that final battle, okay, it mentions here there's going to be a mourning that day, and it mentions Megiddon, which is Armageddon. Okay, but I showed you this when we were in Revelation chapter one in Second Chronicles thirty-five twenty-two through twenty-six. We see the story that this is referring to. There was a battle fought there in Josiah's day where Josiah died, and when they that they had that terrible battle that day there was a great mourning and a great lamentation that day that Jeremiah wrote about. It, this was an exceptionally sad day. You know, we better go turn there. All right? Because so if Jesus is coming for them to save them, shouldn't that be a happy day? All right? But no, he's saying in that day, there's going to be a great mourning that takes place. And so in Second Chronicles... Chapter 35. Let's see if this, you know, this is something that's, you know, it was an exciting day or a bad day. All right. Was this 
a godly sorrow that worketh repentance, not to be repentant? Or are these people just sad that they lost? All right. But it says in Second uh, Chronicles thirty-five twenty-two. It says, Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself that he might fight with him and hearken not to the words of Necho from the mouth of God and came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. And the archers shot at King Josiah and the king said to his servants, Have me away for I am sore wounded. His servants therefore took him out of the chariot and put him in the second chariot that he had and they brought him to Jerusalem and he died and was buried in the sepulchres of his fathers and all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. And Jeremiah lamented for Josiah. And all the singing men and the singing women spake of Josiah in their lamentations to this day and made them an ordinance in Israel. And behold, they are written in the lamentations. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and his goodness according to that which was written in the law of the Lord and the deeds, his deeds first and last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. So you see, this was a very sad day. They're singers who normally you know, lift people up are singing lamentations. They're singing sad songs that day. This was the birth of country music right here. No, I'm just kidding. But they, it's just sad stuff. This is, this is the bad, bad arcane he died. You know, I don't know. But just, it was, I'm sure this is probably where country music got started. Something depressing. But they, uh, right there is what this is referring to. Okay? This isn't, this isn't showing us that this, Day is going to happen in Armageddon. The Bible is crystal clear in Joel. It happens in the Valley of Jehoshaphat, right outside Jerusalem. Okay, the Mount of Olives is right. You know, it, it, it's what separate. The Valley of Jehoshaphat is what separates the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem. So it makes sense that that is where this morning is going to take place. You know, that that's where this is going to take place, especially when Jesus uh, returns in the clouds and he doesn't save Israel. Okay, and I'll show you that here in a second. So uh, they just take Zechariah 12 and they add Israel getting saved. But what does it say? It says in this day that they are going to there's going to be a great lamentation. We see in Zechariah 14, Jesus does not come and fight against those nations until after they've been taken captive, until after their house have been rifled, and after their women have been ravished, after they've been taken into captivity, after that, Jesus is going to come fight for them. We know from the book of Revelation it's going to be after three and a half years. We, we know all this. We know it from Dan. We know it from all the prophecies. Yet, right here, they want to make it when they look on Him whom they pierced, which is something that happens before all this, they want to make it at the end of the seven years and with them getting saved. When that is not what happens. In Revelation 1.7, it says, Behold, He cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see Him, and they also which pierced Him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of Him. Even so, Amen. Does anybody see the kindreds of the earth getting saved during this time? Does anybody see all Israel getting saved during this time? No, we don't see that. But even a pre-tribber would admit that Revelation 1.7 and Zechariah 12 are the same thing. But we don't see Israel getting saved in here. We don't see that. I'll tell you what we do see though in Zechariah chapter 12 is Israel mourning and lamenting like they did at the death of Josiah. That's what we see going on. We don't see them getting saved. That has been added by the scholars. Okay? So what's going on? Why are they mourning? Okay, 
when the rapture comes, it will be a time of mourning for Israel because they're going to be left behind. Now, we don't have time to go into everything, but listen, there were, there, you know, there's been a lot of prophecy about this coming event. Okay? And the thing is, it's very clear in the Bible that these, this is a time of vengeance for Israel. What's going to happen? Okay? What's going to happen after the Antichrist comes and he surrounds Jerusalem? You know what's going to happen? All of a sudden, Jerusalem's going to be thinking, you know, our Messiah, we thought our Messiah was here. We thought the Antichrist was the Messiah. They're going to realize that they're in trouble. You know what they're going to do? They are going to begin, I believe, calling on the Messiah to come. But then you know what's going to happen? The Messiah is going to come and it's going to be the one that they rejected. The Messiah is going to return. It's going to be the one that they pierced. It's going to be the one that they put on the cross. And when Jesus Christ returns in the clouds, the reason they're going to be mourning is because of the fact that they're going to realize we had the wrong one. We killed the wrong guy. We killed the Messiah. And then you know what Jesus is going to do that day? He's going to deliver His people and it's not going to be them. He's going to rapture all of us. The ones who they hated. The ones who they persecuted. Just like they hated Him. Just like they crucified Him. Jesus Christ is revealing Himself to the whole world and He's specifically doing it during this time to provoke them to jealousy, to show them you killed the wrong guy. I was your Messiah. I could have been coming for you. I could have saved you out of this, but you rejected my salvation. You all knew that this day was coming. I prophesied that this day was coming. I came as a deliverer. I turned ungodliness away when I paid for your sins, yet you would not accept my salvation. And on that day, folks, the Bible nowhere says... They're going to realize, oh man, we got the wrong one. And then they're going to believe. No, they're going to mourn. It will be then that they realize that they have made a great mistake and then all of a sudden, after Jesus Christ, He takes up, you know, they're, they're in trouble. They, they will be, uh, they're just going to be in captivity knowing that they messed up big time. That's what we actually see in the Bible. We see them mourning. And not as... Not a repentance morning. Not, you know, not, that's not what we see. That gets added in. So, verse 6, it says, And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time will be light. Now, now remember, we're back to after Jesus has fought against those armies that came against Jerusalem. Okay, after Israel has been punished greatly, he's coming back. He's going to rule and reign. So, what about whatever of Israel's left? We'll get to that. And it shall be in that day that living water shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea, half of them toward the hinder sea. In the summer and in the winter shall it be. If you look on, go on Google Earth. If you look at the Mount of Olives and you look at Jerusalem. If that mountain were to split, like the Bible says it's going to, half of it go towards the north, half of it go towards the south, there is a sea directly in front of it, and there's one behind it. The Dead Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. It's exactly like the Bible describes, which I, I, think, is, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, you need to go check that out. 
But um, in verse 9, it says, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day, and there shall be one Lord and His name one. All right? Now, this is not a verse for the oneness clouds to use. Okay? They like to, this is, this is their specialty. Pull one random verse out of an Old Testament passage and not, let's not look at context. Let's, let's not do that, alright? What, alright, what this basically is saying right here, okay, we all know there's one Lord, we all know there's one God, we all understand that, alright? That, that fact has been established very early on in the Bible, okay? This isn't doing something to try to teach oneness, but what this is talking about is the fact that there's gonna be one ruler on the earth and one people. Jesus Christ is gonna rule over the entire earth. That stone cut out without hands, it's going to hit the feet of that image. It's going to hit the Antichrist kingdom. And that mountain is going to grow into all the earth. Jesus is going to rule over the entire earth. There will not be like the ten kings that we see in the tribulation. There's going to be one king. And it's going to be the king of kings and lord of lords. It's going to be Jesus Christ. And it's not going to be Americans and Mexicans and Africans and things during that time. No, there's going to be one people. We're all going to be under the jurisdiction of Jesus Christ. That's what this passage is trying to teach. Okay, But anyway, verse 10 says, "...and the land shall be turned as plain from Geba to Remen, south of Jerusalem, and it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place." From Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate, unto the corner gate, from the tower of Hananiel, unto the king's wine presses, and men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Alright? Well, let's stop here for a minute, because said, people are still mad at me. I didn't call Jerusalem Babylon. And I couldn't, because Jerusalem's still going to be around during the millennium. This is after Jesus steps His foot on the Mount of Olives. This is clearly the ushering in of the millennium. And it specifically says, Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. How can it be safely inhabited if it's Babylon when Babylon will never be inhabited again? Okay? I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. But listen, if people want me to get on the Jerusalem is Babylon bandwagon, they need to explain verses like this to me. Okay? They can't just keep going to Matthew chapter 23. All right? You need to explain these things if you want me to get on board. But verse 12, And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord shall smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. And I personally think this is a reference to the battle of the great day of God Almighty that the pre-tribbers will call Armageddon. And I like how it's going to go down. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet. And their eyes shall consume away and their holes and their tongue shall consume away and their mouth. Indiana Jones. Yeah, that's, that's probably what it's going to look like or pretty close. And it says, And it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them and they shall lay hold everyone on the hand of his neighbor and his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor. And Judah also shall fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the heathen round about shall be gathered together, gold and silver and apparel in great abundance. And so shall be the plague of the horse and of the mule and of the camel and of the ass and of all the beasts that shall be in these tents as this plague. And it shall come to pass that every one that is left of all the nations which come against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, to keep the Feast of Tabernacles." And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, 
even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not, they have no rain. There shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. All right? Now, why will the Feast of Tabernacles make a comeback? Okay? Because this is an Old Testament feast that we don't observe today, but yet we see them observing it in the millennium. Now, there are a group of people, I'm not even sure what religion these people are. They look like Baptists. They're very conservative people. They look like Baptists, but they keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the Bible is real clear you're supposed to do it in Jerusalem, but like, I, like most Hebrew roots people or Hebrew roots influence people, they just make up their own rules as they go because they could care less about the Bible. So, you, you know, there's actually multiple locations where they keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And one of them is Branson, Missouri. All right? Now, why? Because they all can't afford to go to Jerusalem, I guess. But they, and the thing is, they don't even dwell in tabernacles when they do it, which are tents. They dwell in hotels. We stayed in one of the hotels where they were all at when we were there. It's just stupid Hebrew roots garbage. And, and that's where I was at when I, I almost went and sat in one of those things just to go tell these people they're all idiots and, ex, and just explain to them. It's like, do you people even know what the Feast of Tabernacles is? Do you even know what it represents? Because they don't. And I listened to one of them when we were walking out. I should have said something. I was nice. And they were talking. It's like, yeah, I've been trying to get the Baptists to get on board with this, but you know Baptists, they just never change. And I, I almost looked and I said, why would we change when we're right? But anyway, they, they, it's, 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 it's stupid. It's, it's retardation. They don't know what it is. And we're not going to go back and read all the verses about the Feast of Tabernacles. But the Feast of Tabernacles, one of the reasons God wanted to do it, or the Feast of Booths, it also called it Booths in the Bible. The reason they would do it, they would every year, they would go back to Jerusalem. I forgot how long they'd stay. I think a week or something. And they would stay in booths. They would do sacrifices and things. They would do, God had them do that to remind them that they used to dwell in tents and booths. Abraham, he dwelt in tents. They're the patriarchs, Isaac and Jacob dwelt in tents. They never had their own land. They never had their own, own place. And they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And so God wanted them every year to have a time where they remembered when they were strangers and pilgrims. And that way they remember that, hey, God brought you into this land. God has blessed you. God has given you a permanent location. You now have a land. And so it was a time of remembrance what they came out of. So why wouldn't we, uh, why wouldn't we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles today? I'll tell you why. Because just like Abraham was a stranger and pilgrim, the Bible says we are strangers and pilgrims on this earth. We don't have a continuing city right now. We have one that's to come. Okay? But right now, we are, we are living the Feast of Tabernacles, you could say. We are, you know, so we don't live in tents and things like that. But folks, we don't have a permanent location. We don't have a land that we can call our own. Okay? As a Christian, you know, I can't claim the United States as my home as a Christian because our laws are too perverted and too wicked. We don't follow God's law. And you know, we're not even allowed to enforce righteous laws in this country. We're not even allowed to put homos to death. And yet I'm supposed to, you know, claim, you know, that this is our land as Christians and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. That's stupid. Well, I don't know why we do that. Now what's interesting, 
and I don't I don't fully understand this, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read into this and uh, try to tell you why, but it's clear in this passage it's it's the other families of the earth that are doing this. Okay, now I don't know. Maybe God's having them do it then to remind them, hey, now you're the strangers and pilgrims. I don't know, you know, because now this is ours. We've got the earth. You know, the meeks inherited the earth. I don't know. I don't fully. I don't fully understand what that's all about. That that could have something to do with it. But either way, this is something God's wanting them to do. He's want, maybe He's wanting them to do that just because He wants them yearly coming and just seeing Him, seeing Jesus Christ as King. Uh, you know what all. You know, it, so we got to be careful speculating too much because what happens, you start forming new doctrines if you're not careful. And I don't want to do that, but it's very clear in this passage they're going to have them keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. If they don't do it, they're not going to get any rain that year. It's clear too, there's going to be heathen during that time. It's calling them heathen. Okay? But understand, we're going to be ruling and reigning on earth. The heathen are only going to be able to get away with so much during that time. And you know what? People ask, people say all the time, well, you know, if we executed God's law and we were killing all the people the Bible said to, there wouldn't be any people left. No, because even a dumb heathen, you know, if he sees some guy getting stoned for being a queer, he's not going to do that. You know, if they see people paying fourfold when they steal something, they're not going to steal. Even a heathen knows not to do that. Listen, you can whip a dog and he'll learn not to do some things. And when we're laying stripes on people and using the enforcement mechanism that God designed in the Bible, the dumbest, most primitive heathen in the world will learn from that. It's amazing how you can train a dog if you whoop them better than you can treat a lot of humans with all their psychology. Okay, all right, That doesn't work. Okay? A rod for the backs of fools. Okay? A blueness of the wound. It cleanseth away evil. And I don't believe that's a reference for your kids, spanking your kids. I think that's a reference for the fool's back. Alright? These people who are being, you know, they're receiving corporal punishment from government. Alright? This is the severe stuff. Okay? You know, when you spank, spanking kids, you can, if you do it right, you can get the message across to kids without making them black and blue. Okay? And if you do it right, if you do it B times like the Bible says, you're not there, you know, you're not gonna have to they're not gonna be the people that are getting the black and blue, you know, getting the stripes from the government. But you don't spank your kids, alright? Well, it said in our government won't even do that, but it's the people who didn't spank their kids who would end up getting that rod on their back later on. But anyway, that's another subject for another day. But look at verse twenty. It says in that day there shall be upon the bells of the horses Holiness unto the Lord, and the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bulls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and see therein. And in that day there shall be no more Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. So, what's interesting about that, one of the things they were supposed to do in Jerusalem and in, in the land of Israel, they were supposed to keep the Canaanites out. They were supposed to... Uh, keep that place just for the people of God, and you know what? They never did. They, you know, they would do some of it. They would drive some people out, but they would always leave a remnant behind. They never fully obeyed that commandment. Why does it mention that specific thing right here? 
Because when Jesus comes, He will fulfill that commandment. Jesus, when He comes, He will do all the things that Israel failed to do. You know why? Because Jesus Christ is the real seed of Abraham. Jesus Christ is the real Israel. And Jesus will get it done. And so this is an example of Jesus fulfilling what the children of Israel could never fill. And so the final three and a half years from Jerusalem, it's going to involve them being surrounded by the armies of the earth. We know when they you see Jerusalem compassed about with armies, know thereof that the desolation is nigh. The Bible is very clear. The abomination of desolation, it happens in the middle of the 70th week of Daniel. The Bible is also very clear that Jerusalem is going to be taken. They are going to be taken captive. The Bible is very clear. This is going to last for three and a half years. The Bible is very clear. After that three and a half years, Jesus is going to come and He's going to fight against those armies. Okay, And the people who are getting this idea that that's when every eye sees Him, they're adding things to the Scripture that aren't there. It's not there. The mourning that's going to take place is after they have been taken captive at the abomination, you know, shortly after the abomination of desolation, the Messiah returns and He doesn't help them. He doesn't do anything for them. He is going to save His people during that time. He's going to, he's going to rapture us, but they are going to be in mourning during that time. And they are, they're not going to get saved. That gets added into the Scriptures. And you can, Zech, Zechariah 12, 13, and 14, it all refers to some of these things. Uh, look at verse chapter 13. Um, it says, well, let's look at verse 7. It says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. Does anybody remember that verse? Smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Now, when did that happen? actually take place? Right. That took place at the cross. Jesus specifically mentioned this verse. It says, It shall come to pass that in all the land, uh, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on My name and I will hear them. I will say it is my people, and they shall say, "The Lord is my God." Now, what they're going, they want to do, they want to add all of this. They want to make all of this about the end during that last time. But folks, when did the shepherd get smitten? It was at the cross. Okay, it was after the cross that we see that now he's offering this promise that he had promised Israel that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This time right now, for them to be saved, it's, it's now. Now is when they should be getting saved. And they will get saved if they call on Him. And did they not? Did not thousands and thousands of Jews get saved after Jesus' death on the cross? Yes, we see thousands just at Pentecost getting saved. But they want to make it all about something that's in the end. We see... Oh... I didn't write this verse down. Uh, There's so many verses in Zechariah that uh, I wish we had time to expound on. But it's very clear in Zechariah that 
it's, it's prophesied that Jerusalem's going to be taken. Jesus is going to return. Every eye is going to see him and they're going to mourn. That's what we see. We see it's going to be a sad day for them. And in Revelation chapter 1, that clearly is talking about our rapture. And they are, they are going to mourn, alright? And now I said before, I do believe during that, uh, time of the wrath of God in Jerusalem, you got the two witnesses there preaching. I think there's going to be some people that are going to get saved. I don't think it's going to be a huge number. It, I don't know. It might be, uh, it might be significant. I don't know. But here's the thing, the Bible doesn't really tell us. We, I can't, there's no verse in the Bible that shows a large amount of people getting saved. Alright? But let's see what the Bible actually says is going to happen whenever Jesus does come back with Israel. Okay? Because, folks, God's not done with Israel. Alright? He's not. They've got to have the days of vengeance that are coming for them. But then, Jesus Christ specifically has something to do for them. Alright? So remember, I mean, this is, this is so bad. Alright? This is why these people that act like they love Israel that aren't giving them the gospel, I don't realize how cruel they are to them. They are going to be taken captive and then Jesus is going to return and not going to take them. And they're going to be in great mourning realizing they've done wrong. The pre-tribbers would say that's when they're all going to get saved. Well, then they need to explain Luke 19, verse 27. It says This is talking about when Jesus Christ returns. He says, But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. And listen, you, nobody can deny that he's talking about Israel right there. We're not, going to go, we're not going to go through that whole passage. No one can deny this. He's talking about Israel there. He's talking about those who pierced him. He's talking about those who rejected him. That's what that's all about. Okay? They wouldn't listen to the prophets. God sends His Son and they said, you know what? We're going to seize the inheritance. This is our land. We're Abraham's seed. He's not Abraham's seed. Let's kill him so we can have the inheritance. And when he comes, the Bible is very clear. He's going to tell them, bring those people to me that would not that I should reign over them and slay them before me. You know what Jesus is going to do? You know why he's not done with Israel? Because he's got to slay them. They're going to get killed. That's worse than what's going to happen to the rest of the heathen. At least the rest of the heathen out there still have a chance. But folks, whatever is left of Israel when Jesus Christ returns, who has not gotten saved, is going to be killed. Now, I need a pro-Jew, pre-tribber to tell me who these people are that Jesus is going to kill in Luke 19.27 if it's not who we say it is. I think it's very clear who it is. It's those people who are praying to a wall today that they say are the chosen people. And whenever they say them looking on Him whom they pierced and adding them getting saved, they are adding to the Scripture. They're literally adding passages that just aren't there. They're seeing the morning and they're saying that's the salvation right there. That is, that is just foolish. That is not what the Bible teaches. And Israel's day of salvation is right now. And if they don't get it now, 
then one of these days when they are in their darkest hour, Jesus Christ is going to return and He's going to save His people and it's not going to be them. They're going to realize they did it wrong. They're going to mourn, but it doesn't say that they're going to get saved. And, and then, after three and a half years of misery, Jesus Christ is going to come and He's going to defeat those armies that held them captive. And then, they're going to get to stand before their Messiah that they rejected. And then you know what He's going to say? Bring them before Me and slay them. That's a little different than what's being taught today, isn't it? But this is exactly what the Bible teaches. And you know what? They can call me whatever they want. They can call me anti-Semitic. They can call you know, they're they're going to call the names. All right. They, they, but uh, I'm just I'm just reading the Bible for what it says, not adding things into there. I'm, I'm actually studying myself, and I'm not going to a college textbook somewhere that's inserted facts that just aren't in the Bible. I need somebody to show me when they're looking on Him and they pierce them getting saved. I'm seeing the opposite. I'm seeing them mourning like they did at Hadad Rimmon in the Valley of Megiddo. That's, that's what I'm seeing. And that wasn't a good day for Israel. That was a sad day. And it's going to be a sad day for Israel when Jesus Christ returns because they're going to realize it was too late. And you know what? Finally, Jesus is going to come back only to finish them off. And so, that's what, that's what the Bible teaches. And there's no two ways about it. I'm sorry, but that's just what it says. So, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You for, uh, Lord, the salvation that You have, get, that you have offered to us. Lord, we thank You that uh, You came and You uh, delivered us from our sin when You died on the cross. And Lord, I pray You'll help us to spread this message out there. Lord, I pray You'll just uh, rebuke and expose these false prophets out there that are leading Israel to hell by uh, promising them things that You never promised. Help them to realize that now is their day of salvation. Help them realize they, that they, their future that's, uh, that's to come in prophecy is only bad. And I pray You'll help them to realize their way out now before it's eternally too late for them. In Your name we pray. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and stand.